let me just first say to everybody watching, I didn't put any classical music in this list. I couldn't okay. because we were doing albums. And I thought to myself, because obviously one of my favorite pieces of music is Nimrod by Elgar. It brings me to tears every time I hear it. It reminds me of my father, reminds me of my my home. My dad was a huge classical music buff. Mm -hmm. We listen to classical music every day. And then jazz. And I didn't hear any pop music for the longest time, which is very powerful. So when you finally hear like good rock, yeah. it blows your mind. So I just wanted to say the lack of classical music on this list is not because I'm not a huge classical music fan. I am. But when you said to me, name your top albums, I realized to myself, like any good British person, I could probably say Holst, The Planets, because that was a huge record through the 60s and 70s. So when I was a little kid, um, you know, growing up in the 70s, that would have been like little, little that would have been played nonstop. Um, yeah. You know, Holst, Gustav Holst is obviously a huge British composer and a massive, everybody in Britain's fans of his. So just wanted to have that little disclaimer. And the other thing I noticed, the other thing I noticed yeah. is I could, I didn't know where to go with funk because if I open that door up, because I wanted to put Sly and the Family Stone fresh on there, um, and it probably should be on there. But then I'm like, but the meters is what got me into funk. But then I'm like, the album that got me into funk was the meters. It was the greatest hits record. Anyway, mm -hmm. those are my two disclaimers. But I, I, I tell you, I agree with you. I agree with you, and I think the concept of this. Um, so everybody, actually, welcome to Laughing Monkey Music. We didn't do that. We don't. We don't. We don't follow the rules in this show because this is about records. So this is our first, our first uh, record show, uh, vinyl ten by ten, or we don't even follow the numbers because numbers stink. We're music. Yeah. Um, I, I also couldn't figure. I was like the best ten albums that in, you know, roughly ten that maybe inspired you. You like anything you feel special about them? You know what I mean? And when you say special, your top, your top could be like your top ten. It could be, you know, your, your worst, the most different, the best produced. I didn't know, and I didn't want to put a label on it. Yeah. Well, for me, so my not my first album that I'm going to mention. Um, yeah, you go ha first? Has to be has to be mentioned first um, because it is uh, Robert Johnson and it's the King of the Delta Blues Singers. It's the it came out in 1961. So by the time, obviously, it was recorded many years before that, but it came out in 61 and was pretty much the birth of blues music being coming over to Britain. And so with that album, that was like the birth of the Yardbirds, which, of course, led to Jeff Beck going solo, Led Zeppelin, Peter Green, Fleetwood Mac. I mean, you, you get it. It's yeah. like that album, that's that album. Robert Johnson, King of the Delta Blues Singers, is probably arguably the most important album in rock music because it started all of those bands. So, you know. If you just take Eric Clapton, Jimmy Page, Peter Green and Jeff Beck and just watch where they all went. Mm -hmm. I mean, for Britain, at least where I grew up, it is inarguably the most influential record. Um, yeah, it's and you you get any of those guys and sit them down and ask them about Robert Johnson. They'll yeah. just be like, oh, yeah, that's that was it. That was the thing. You know, I heard that, oh, that record. Was, yeah. It, it, and I'm going to say, actually, do you have the record with you? Do you bring it with you? Hold it up. Say it again. The no, video? no, because it's because because I because I only I only have it on digital. Can you believe okay. it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, that's I can. A good... I can. You can. You got it. No, I believe you. No, I don't have that one back. So what, what I got blues related is. What you got? What you got? Johnny Winter, Third Degree. Oh, nice. 
So he was on the um, Alligator Records. He did a trilogy of albums. This is his final and uh, third of them. He plays on it, as you can see it, the National Steel guitar on it. It took him yep. a couple months to learn how to play it. And it, he plays like Shake Your Money Maker. It's, it's the most old school blues, nitty gritty album out there. And it's probably my favorite Johnny Winter album that I've ever seen and heard. A uh, huge Johnny Winter fan. And just to further yours, what, one of my yeah. favorite records um, is Hard Again by Muddy Waters, which of course yeah. was produced by Johnny, Walter, Johnny Winter. And we, um, uh, when I was working with Aerosmith, Joe Perry and I bonded over that album. He was just like, now obviously they were already a successful band when that record came out, because correct me if I'm wrong, people watching, I think that didn't come out till 76. That was like a mid seventies album. It was like a big hit. It was like an actual proper bona fide top 40 yeah. album in many countries. And I just remember that with James Cotton. Oh, the grooves on that record, the recording is pristine and baby i want to be loved ah so good hairs are standing on my end if you if anybody watching doesn't know muddy water's hard again just go and buy it download it stream it whatever it's such a good record but it's tough with the blues because we could do a whole episode just on blues artists we could we could i think we scratched the surface tonight just a little Sunny okay. scratch service yeah because you know you do robert johnson but you know i had a whole like year obsession with lightning hopkins when i was 15 and i remember yeah. i used to go to the record and tape exchange in notting hill for any uh, uk people watching and just you know because i'd read about them because this is pre-internet you know when i was a teenager and i would just read about them and and you'd go and the way the record tape exchange would do they would sell an album for like two two pounds and then within a few weeks, if it wasn't sold, because it had a date on it, they'd mark it down to 150. And then a few weeks after that, if it wasn't sold, they'd mark it down to a pound. And then sometimes wow. the albums would be like 50p. So like, you know, which is about That's 70. Aggressive. Yeah. But they just, because they had, because it was just thousands and th tens of thousands of used albums. And sometimes you'd look at the album because you could pull it out and the vinyl was in perfect condition, but maybe the, uh, maybe the cover was all dog-eared yeah. or vice versa. You know, you'd pick one up and it looked beautiful, but you pull it out and it was kind of crappy. So, and they, they'd mark it cheaper or more expensive depending on condition. Yeah. So I would go there with like a list. I'd have a notepad. I'd have a list of all the albums I wanted and I'd find them. And if, you know, I'd have my like 10 pounds that I saved and I wanted to come out with 10 albums you know and sometimes you couldn't do it but i do remember getting i do remember getting hard again there for like a pound one pound uh i remember getting alternative uh stuff with robert johnson i had the king of delta blues singers i got from there Ugh. but yeah lightning hopkins i'd go back week after week and just collect everything that i didn't have i'd look at all the song titles i'd make notes see which songs i would read about like you know were missing and then go and try and mm -hmm. find them on other albums it was a great time. Great time to be a kid and before streaming when you had to put in a lot of effort. But now, of course, for guys like us, streaming is the best thing ever because we know what we want to hear it and is, you can get it straight away. It is, but it's a temporary. I still go out. I, I found I have a local record store. A couple of them. I found my favorite one. I have my list on my phone because I'll forget. Or if I had the album, I duplicate <laughs> a couple hundred. You know what I mean? I still have my list, but it's just on my phone now. And I go to the used record store and I pull them out. Just like you said, I still do it now. I love it. It's an adventure. You're finding it. It's still the yep. treasure. It's, yep. it's, it's, it's incredible. Part of, part of the journey, the journey of finding the music. 
than almost a destination at times. You know, it's so exciting to find something. So, our, so if that's our blues, for me, yeah, I didn't, I didn't match you everything for everything, but I try to kind of keep a little bit of a tie in with you to kind of. Sure. Well, why don't we why don't we go all over the place then? You know, yeah, rather so, than be rather than be no, obvious. Yeah. Because you you put uh, King Crimson down, which we which obviously uh, you should talk about, which would have been in that album would have been that would have been in my top twenty, but I didn't. I made fourteen. There it is. What a masterpiece! It, it's probably the it is the album that the quintessential album for Prague. I mean, it is like the go to yeah. album. I think you know, and, and what's really funny is um well it was the same producer that did the Moody Blues at the time. So you could really hear the production of Moody Blues in the music too. Yeah, it's and very. I think the first track is the heaviest too. You know, schizoid. it's like one of the first riffs you learn on the guitar besides Iron Man. It's you know, yeah, is that. I mean, but it's just, just the artwork and just the craziness of it. Like, am I getting in there? Yeah. Yeah, Rob. Robert Fritch Frit, Frit is pretty heavily because um, he's also on one of my one of my album choices. Because yeah. what I what I decided to do, and I'm sure you did the same thing, is I don't want to like because you know Queen are my favorite band. Um, I was but, I, I want to say this. I was literally going to say, don't pick ten Queen albums. Yeah, I, I could have done that. I know you could have. And Bowie, <laughs> Bowie, I could have done seven Bowie albums yep. in my top ten albums of all time. You know, so. So for me, I'm going to skip in a different order. Because um, so, so what I thought, well, you did, you did King Crimson. You did King Crimson, first album, King Crimson, early period of King mm-hmm. Crimson. So I was thinking to myself, I also love the Adrian Ballou, uh, um, Tony Levin period, huge yep. fa- fan of three, three of a perfect pair is one of my, and Discipline, uh, but yep. three of a perfect pair is particularly one of my favorite records. I love that, uh, that track, um, Dig It, you know, I'm ready, and the... Um, I'm on my way out of here. What is that song called? I'm ready to go. I'm not going to know. It's got the fretless guitar in it. Yeah. Blue playing I don't think it. there's an album. There's not an album by them that I don't like. I, you know, that's one yeah. of the bands, like, from the beginning to the end. I, I, all, all their albums are great. They're just a little, so, they're a little different. So I thought to myself, yeah, I'm going to do Genesis, but because you did 70s prog, I'm going to do, well, I suppose it was probably recorded in 79, but I'm going to do Duke. Duke, because I feel like Duke is... It's a much maligned record by Genesis fans because it doesn't have Peter Gabriel in it. Who it was tough because as soon as I did Genesis, I'm like going, What I've got to do Peter Gabriel Melt, third album. Yeah. But then if I go, if I put that, this list is going to be a thousand albums long. Um, because I'm the biggest Peter Gabriel fan. Like any like you're gonna go to therapy after this question. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but I think Duke, because because it's one of those things, because obviously nursery crime is like mind-bogglingly one of the greatest albums ever made. But because we were looking at each other's lists, I thought, you know, I want to try and get as many genres right. and the best pieces of each genre. And the thing about Duke is it's got it's got like pop songs on it, but twisted. And, you know, you know, I'm a huge fan of Turn It On Again. I've already oh, yeah. done an episode on online about it. I've already covered it. To me, it's like what I love about Peter Gabriel, Phil Collins, Genesis, Mike Rutherford, all the guys, Tony Banks, all of their solo stuff as well as their band stuff, is they know knew how to write a song that could chart in a top 40 all over the world and still be absolutely amazingly interesting mm-hmm. to listen to. I mean, turn it on again in you know 13-4. 
You know what I mean? It's just like, God bless them. You know what I mean? It's like, that's what I love. It's like a band that can hit on all levels, musicianship, hooky songwriting, great production. Yeah. I think everything Genesis and Genesis related, solo albums, band members, I mean, you know, band albums just can't speak more lyrically about it. Yeah. Absolutely love it. I think, I, I agree. I think Duke and, um, was it, uh, what was the other album after that? I looked at the second, that period, they're going from, from Peter to, uh, over and they're converting. They still had the old stuff a little bit to them and they're yeah. kind of going to the more of the pop. I, so they're right in the middle. It was a nice, I thought it was a nice sweet spot actually for the band. So yeah, I actually I mean, have I like on vinyl too. I love it all. I mean, like, you know, you go to like Genesis, Genesis, which Hugh, Hugh did, Hugh Pajam did. Right. That's one of my favorite records as well. It has Mama on it. I mean, it's like, talk about a dark song and that song was a top 20 single in a lot of countries around the world how freaking cool is that you know can you it imagine feels like songs... different bands too you know what i mean yeah the different phases actually feel like almost different bands that yeah. sound like a certain band like hey that, that band really sounds like genesis yeah you know? yeah, yeah. And genesis is a good name for the band after look at their history of all the song changing yeah i can't believe that song was a hit either um it's just amazing. And I, I mean, yeah. God, God bless ta- that time in music that we could have, that we, we, we were able to go through that. So, um, okay. Well, then I'm going to go completely to a different period. Pretender's first record, I think, is an absolute masterpiece. I think it could be considered, it's definitely, if we had a top 10 debut albums of all time, this would definitely be top five. I, mean, I don't know where in the top five, but top five best debut albums it's such a freaking masterpiece i mean there's the obvious singles like kid and stop sobbing and brass in pocket but everything about that record you know just just james honeyman scott's guitar playing you know um chrissy hind was just for a prepubescent i wasn't even a teenager when it came out but a previous boy, I knew that she was just something special and a badass. Yeah. You know, this American girl singer, she's just tough, but still like super attractive, you know, and just like, I was just like, what is this? You know, this American girl singer. And she was so know. different too back then too. Oh. Like, you're like, where did this coming from? Like on her own, this is, it was fantastic. I will say that I'm going to go in with, actually I have the album, so I'm going to be a dork about it. That's all right. I didn't prepare. That's all right. I actually, if we're talking killer debut albums, I'm going to say Tom Petty. Yeah, Tom Petty's first album was a masterpiece. That, the first one, I mean, I had um, Breakdown, American Girl. I know, I know the UK hit was um, Anything That's Rock and Roll was a big hit over there for you guys, right? Remember that one? That was that was a big hit. Um, but it cracked over here with like American Girl. I, I don't remember what the. She was. Yeah, we had American too. American Girl was was a hit hit. It. It's what what's, was great about growing up in the UK was only one time zone. So um, you could have, if something got anywhere near the top 40, even close to it, mm-hmm. you knew it, you knew of it because the radio station, uh, Radio One, is national. So it had to sort of, it couldn't just be sort of very narrow minded. It was really, really cool. So you would have during the day, you'd have more top 40 music, but mm-hmm. then in the evening, you'd have like rock shows. You had new wave shows. You had like punk shows. Everything was covered. It was fantastic. John Peel I, at night. Oh, as, as a youth, I remember hearing like because also once you know no internet, but you read the rock magazines and you're like in the, in the English musicians be like, yeah, rock radios over here are different because you can listen to like Iron Maiden and then listen to like 
you know, like Moody Blues or something like that was so different. Like you guys on the same channel was, was you know, unlike here where it was just going to be the same yeah. segment yeah. over and over again. So you know, we always heard how great it was in England that you guys could do that, which is awesome. Yeah, it's like I, I did a video on Hong Kong Garden and I came out in 78 and top 10 single, uh, you know, debut single for Susie and the Banshees. And at the time in the Melody Maker and the NME, it was considered post-punk. It was like the beginning of post-punk. And then everybody started debating me like, no, it's a pump song. And I'm just like, you've got to understand what it was like in, in the UK in those days. Like 76, 77 was punk. By 78, <laughs> the Sex Pistols were broken up. Public images started, and that was post-punk. And before you know it, we were into two-tone and scar and new wave and new romantics. And that's all within about four years. All of those different genres happening and the changeover. It was such an exciting time for music. Um, just like so good, such a great time. And it and it, it spilled over into all kinds of bands. And we had Genesis making records there, obviously. Everybody, Queen. One of my Queen favorite Queen records is the game. And much maligned at the time, but what a fantastic record. But that, anyway, so my next on my list uh, is, uh, again, one I could have at least put two, possibly three albums of, and that's XTC Black Sea. Absolutely love this album. That and English Settlement, tough one. I could have said English Settlement. Yeah. In fact, I could say it now instead. Those two <laughs> records, again, Hugh Padgham's uh, made yep. those albums. Uh, Hugh features quite a lot in this stuff. Um, just absolutely incredible record. Um, it's great songwriting, incredible musicianship. Hugh told me that um, they were just amazing players. And um, it's interesting. John Leckie worked with them as well on mm -hmm. uh, um, the first two albums, uh, Go To and White Music. And they were his favorite band to work with. So it seems like everybody that ever worked with XTC, even if they went on to have massive success with other artists, Always yeah. look at XTC as being their sort of creative peak. Well, I think they are one of the an artist band, you know, yeah. like in the 90s, like King's X was kind of like over here, you know, an artist band. It's, yeah, yeah. That's kind of what they are because, you know, I, I think Black Sea is probably my favorite of those two, I would say. I'm going to say, I'm going I'm to bring it back to rock, actually. Please. And I, I like, I'm a visual guy. Don't say no. By uh, Billy Squire. Crazy. See, Billy, Billy didn't happen in the UK. I didn't know who he was until I moved here. So this album, he broke around his time. He had a couple hot years, and then he did the um, Rock Me Tonight video, which totally annihilated him because he was dancing around in a, like a pink tank top, which was ridiculous. That it, it killed like one of the best singers ever. I mean, to me, sometimes Billy sounded a little bit like like uh, Robert Plant. You know, and I'm surprised right. I didn't hear more of that. I, it felt not like it was copying Zeppelin, but it felt like the comfort of Zeppelin sometimes because there wasn't more Zeppelin. And I, I don't say this, the standout track is, is going to be, um, I mean, I have In the Dark and A Stroke, but I think My Kind of Lover is almost like one of the perfect, most simple pop songs that you can do. Yeah. The riff is a dun, dun. It's so simple, but it's yeah, so good. Yeah. It's so hard to write a perfect song that's that simple. So yeah, that, that's, I'm going to say that was probably my uh, rock album for him. That's amazing. Well, um, so now I'm going to really confuse people with the order of this, but uh, the it's Beatles. No yeah, exactly. The no, the no order order. Now the Beatles, this is a real tough one. My, my favorite Beatles record and the best Beatles record aren't the same thing. 
because I think the best right. Beatles album for most people is usually Revolver, possibly Abbey Road usually come up and then probably Sgt. Pepper's. It's usually when they do a top whatever albums, it's usually Revolver or Pet Sounds are considered to be two yep. of the greatest albums ever made. And then they'll have an Abbey Road maybe in the top five or top 10, then Sergeant Pepper's in the top 20. That's typical of like kind of the, the, the Rolling Stone kind of, yeah. kind of style, yeah. not necessarily that paper, you know, that magazine. But so I was split because Let It Be is my favorite Beatles record. And people, say, let, it, let, let it be stripped is a better one for me. I like. I actually like it without Phil on it. Yeah, so I, 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 I like it all, um, and I don't. To me, it's like people. Funny because people all say to me the same stuff that we're talking about here. They say things like, um, you know, they say things like um, things they've read and they sort of apply. One of the greatest. Uh, uh, things that people don't understand is they thought that people think that Let It Be is like a live record. The reality is, is like almost mm -hmm. none of it's yeah. actually live. Most of it was overdubbed. A lot of it was like stripped together from multiple takes. It wasn't done yeah. the way. And to me, it's just like it's a raw record in as much as it's like a rock band, you know, not a heavy band. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But like they're, they're being a rock band. They're being a band together. But ultimately, gun to my head, it's if you only had one album by them, I'd say Revolver. I think Revolver's the one. I think it's, I think it's the perfect point between the kind of Rubber Soul, Hard Day's Night, Help, kind of melodic, mm -hmm. um, you know, beautiful songs with great harmonies, close harmonies, and and the beginning, especially on Rubber Soul, of some experimentation, Norwegian word, etc. And then suddenly Revolver is like, that's it. It's the pivotal record. It's almost like an indie rock record at some points, like Taxman, almost sounds like, you know, Smashing Pumpkins guitar tones, you know. It's amazing how modern those guitar sounds are on, on, on uh, Revolver. But then it has, you know, Eleanor Rigby, which is an orchestral piece or got got to get you into my life which is all horns it's like it is an absolute masterpiece and it's not a surprise that it makes many many you know great music critics great number one yeah yeah you know the song was it norwegian wood is actually a true song it was um john lennon was uh sleeping with a was, was like the guy upstairs uh wife or girlfriend or something oh That's i didn't the song know that. about yeah the lyrics was about a girl song. Yeah, he, he, so it was like the, at the time, um, he was, I think it was John Lennon who wrote it, wrote it. He was friends with like a couple. And so the guy was gone and, and those two guys were hooking up. And that's what the song's actually about. It's very I, transparent if you know that. Yeah, like you, I, I have a big Beatles fan. I've read so, I've read books and, you know. Yeah, yeah. I have too much useless Beatles information for one human being. <laughs> that's all right. This is what we love. It's, it's okay. Right? It's okay for us to have useless information, my friend. As, as you see behind me, got the Beatles uh, Legos there behind me. Actually, while we're talking Beatles, the biggest Beatle album, non-Beatle album by Paul McCartney. Band oh, I Rock. love Band on the Run, yeah, yeah. And what's, what I think is even better about it is, is the crazy backstory is like, right before he did it, he like, he was a documentary on it. He had like, two of the band members, he just got quit, the drummer and the bass player, they're, they're going over to uh, like Nigeria to record. So it ended up just being him, Linda and, uh, and Danny to record it. So he did like the bass, the drums, everything. The studio was awful. They got, they got, um, held up at knife point and they took their lyric from him and stuff so literally it was like the most disastrous things you could happen you know <laughs> oh, and, and then, but this album came out you know and they had to remix it back here but came out as you know as a, as a masterpiece you know oh, band of the runs a total masterpiece it, 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 it was I mean, 
It's fantastic. It's interesting because it was one of two eight-track albums that my dad had that we would listen to all the all the time. Oh, eight and tracks. The, yeah, and the other one is arguably, depending on what day of the week it is, one of my favorite albums of all time. Songs in the Key of oh, Life. Nice. Eight-track. Oh. Have two of them. And there is the vinyl. So, yeah. That is, it's that is uh, awesome. Yeah, and I keep these on the console just to remind me what true, actual, real greatness is. And true, actual, real greatness is Stevie Wonder. Especially Songs in the Key of Life. I love the quote from Elton John when they asked him about that about the record. He said, the greatest yeah. album ever made. Like, just a fact. Is it? <laughs> it is really good. Stevie Wonder is just ridiculous, too. Um, yep. I would say... I'm gonna go back, Proggy, for a minute, and it's weird Please. to call Proggy. Proggy is it's gonna be Jethro Tull. Which know, one? Songs from the Wood. Now they, they had a, they had a trilogy of of them. They had um, God, I'm thinking now. Actually, I have it written down here somewhere. Um, Stand up. Um, no, no, it was, yeah, they, but it was like they had two. I mean, I know, so I know I forget these two. It's hilarious. I forgot those two. All right. Anyway, oh. It was Heavy Horses and Stormwatch. I always forget that Stormwatch. That's why I wrote that. Yeah. This was such a good album because it had, uh, you know, it's got Martin Burns on it. Um, and it was just the trilogy of them. And it's just, actually, and I was torn because I think Heavy Horses is just as good. As, 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 I actually have a, uh, um, a love for Jethro Tull for my age group. Yeah. I don't know if many people but they're like, what? I'm like, I think I have almost every album by Jethro Tull like, on vinyl. It's almost as big as my Yes collection or my Zappa collection. So, yeah, it's it it it's like the thing is, we I could have done a full blown top twenty prog thing. I was trying to be oh, yeah. super super eclectic, but yeah, the Yes album um, has kept me sane. The Yes album is downloaded on my phone, so it's not streaming. It's downloaded on the phone, and it's the album that I most enjoy traveling to. So when I'm like on a plane, when I'm stuck in a bus or a train yeah. or whatever it is, walking through airports, when we, you know, when we used to be able to do yeah. things like that, um, you know, it's the Yes album. And particularly... Um, you say yeah. the first Yes album? The, well, the title, yeah. title Yes one? Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's an absolute masterpiece. Yeah. Well, Perpetual well, change with the two, with the, when the band splits into two sides and there's two different yeah. songs playing at the same time. Oh, Oh, it's so good. Actually, yeah. For the longest time, I always have yes. Yes is always on my my uh, turntable. It's in my phone. But I have two things actually. This so I did. I actually put yes. Tales of the Topographic Oceans. It's a double yeah. album. Yeah, masterpiece. And I, also, and I also had pulled the other one. The the yes. Uh, Nine hundred two. Um, yeah. Which I actually saw them redo it with a. Couple years ago, and they came around. They did part of it. When I Who saw was yes, playing guitar with, with Trevor Rabin? Yeah, he came in for that. So it was so special. He did it. It was awesome. It was a weird. You know, every time with Yes comes around, it's like always a different band setup. But what was great about this. So with, with that album, the, this album was kind of fun because um, half the band didn't want to do it. It was a concept album. You know, each al- each each is four piece. So each person, you know, each album had a concept. Uh, half the band didn't want to do it, and um, and and then the keyboards. Uh, the Wakeman didn't want to do it at all. So what he was doing to get bored, 
And it turns out uh, when they were recording this, Black Sabbath was doing uh, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath in the studio across the hall from him. So he would buzz over there. And he actually ended up playing some uh, keyboard on, on one of their songs just because he didn't want to be in the album, <laughs> which I thought was pretty great. Well, I mean, he's, he's like, yeah, I'm going to do it. He's like, I don't want to do it. Just, he felt there's nothing on the album for him to do. He felt there was really nothing in the arrangements because at that point, Anderson and Hal got together and they're like, you know, by candlelight in hotel rooms, like right in this, 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 you know, big symphony opera version of this, you know, concept, you know, and they're like, eh, you know, they were, so once again, the band was split on, on it. Yeah, I mean, Rick, Rick, Rick plays, um, we would do top 10 songs. Mm-hmm. We do, we were doing top 10 songs. I would have to go Life on Mars. And of course, Rick was the piano player on that. Yep. Yeah, and it was pretty prolific. Top 10 Cape Warriors would also yeah. be him. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, know, you know, you know his quotes where he, um, he, he goes down, as it goes down the pub after recording mm-hmm. uh, Life on Mars and comes in and, and sits down and says, uh, he's like, I've just played on the best song I'm ever going to play on in my life. <laughs> and arguably. It's a pretty amazing song, Life on Mars, yeah. Uh, when I saw yeah. Bowie play on the last tour, I saw him in Anaheim at the Pond. He, it's the only song he didn't play was Life on Mars of his catalogue, which is really, really? strange. Yeah, yeah, really, really strange. It was the was the greatest show I've ever seen. I, I watched the whole show in tears. The whole show in tears. <laughs> that was just one, like, of the, one of the few arts I've never, I never even see, which is you know the worst. I, I saw Bowie um, as a child, though I never saw Queen with Freddie. I've seen Queen, Queen with Adam Lambert, which was absolutely fantastic on Freddie's birthday a few years ago. Yeah. It was an amazing show. I think he does a good job. I think he he fits without trying to fit. Like he's. He was amazing. He we, is. We, we, we got, we were in Vegas. We were at the front. So Brian was like there and I was here. It was scary. I was so nervous. There's a whole long story to how that happened. But, um, but he comes out. I can't remember the first song they do. Why am I blanking on the first song? It wasn't Fat Bottom Girls. What did they come out with? Was it Bicycle Race? That wasn't Bicycle Race. That was later. Anyway, I can't remember what they came out with. I'm blanking. Anyway, came out, sung, and... You know, because they came out on a song, didn't introduce yeah. themselves, just came out. And then as the song's like fading out in the last chord, he goes, I know what you're thinking. And everybody's like, yeah, he goes, can we swear? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. just, okay. He goes, I know what you're thinking. He's not Freddie. No shit. <laughs> and then just the whole audience just like burst into laughter. And it was just like, what a great way to just kind of be like, you know, of course I'm not Freddie Mercury. You know, yeah. and, I, and then and then suddenly it takes all the expectations away, and then you actually watch a great live performer, Adam Lambert, great live performer, great singer, and I think Queen really understand what he brings to them because they let him be his version of flamboyant. Freddie had his flamboyant crazy right. thing, and Adam has his flamboyant crazy thing, and it's not the same at all. But you can tell that's what they want. They want they want to have. They don't want to have a sounder like Freddie. No. They want to have another person who has a, has charisma and talent and let him flourish. And uh, it was a great show. My wife and I were just like speechless after it. We were just like, oh, it's so good. I mean, he's got the vocal range. I mean, I guess you, you guess in English, you be kind of cheeky. It's, I, I kind of see his humor where he's very, yeah, tongue in cheek and he, you know, he'll take the piss out of himself. And he's good. I mean, you know, I think right. he's. 
I think it's great. I'm glad. I'm glad they found him. I mean, I, I, they were okay with Paul Rogers because Paul Rogers was his own thing, but it wasn't the same. It was like uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what you call it. It wasn't bad. I mean, they're talented. Because at least you got to you, you got to hear the, the t- guitar tone. If, if you can hear Brian May's guitar tone, it usually makes everything all right. That, that tone is just you're like it just feels so good. But yeah, when they came out with him singing, I, I was pleased. No, it I makes think, perfect um, sense. Adam, Adam nails it without being. Yeah, it's yeah. just it's ridiculously awesome. So all uh-huh. of that talk. Yep. So it's David Bowie, Scary Monsters for me. I had, I had, which is um, our second appearance of Robert Fripp. Because of course, you know, King Crimson, Fripp's mm-hmm. all over Scary Monsters. Scary Monsters, you see, I would have done Hunky Dory because my two favorite Bowie records, and it, 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 that's, I love pretty much every record he's ever done. Heroes, yeah. everything, you know, Low, Lodger. Uh, pinups, even you know, uh, Latin Saints, Ziggy Stardust. But for me, the two most important me, not everybody has to agree, two most important Bowie records are Hunky Dory, which pretty much sums up the 70s, and then Scary Monsters, which introduced us to the 80s. And oh, spiders, yeah. And so, yeah, I love Ziggy Stardust and Spiders and Mars, but there's something about um, Scary Monsters which is just unbelievably good. Um, you know, Fritz guitar playing, the production's incredible. Ashes to Ashes, I still, gun to my head, think is the best vocal production on any song ever made. The way he just, I use it all the time in production, you know, where he's like, do you remember the guy? And then he's like, oh no, don't say. So he starts off facetto, then spoken, and then he goes middle voice, I got a message from the action man, I'm happy. And then, and then there's all the whisper vocals he does around mm-hmm. it. I mean, people, if you're watching this, go back, put on Ashes to Ashes, put a pair of headphones on and listen to what Bowie, how he plays with his vocals on that song. All my hairs are standing on end just thinking about it. It's like, I've used it so many times when I'm working with singers who aren't, who just don't seem to get that it's not just all about pitch and timing. I think one of the biggest problems that auto-tune has done has overemphasized. I don't actually have a problem with any technology that makes things better. It's never the technology. It's always the human beings that use it. Mm-hmm. But the biggest problem for me with auto-tune is not auto-tune. It's the fact that people are now just thinking about music in terms of tuning and timing. I'm a sort of the very well-schooled, hate-schooled musician person. It's really weird because yeah. it's like I, we can talk about prog and we can talk about jazz and we can talk right. about all these things I love. But all of the guys I love don't even though they play that music they don't think like the guys that teach it that's what's so surreal and i feel like it's a real disconnect and the emphasis on this perfection where everybody's over analyzing well this is the phrygian lydian and the blah 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 blah. they're forgetting that when somebody's composing they don't think that way and it's a mindset because we want to be able to isolate the code what is it that makes this song great or this album great? We want to isolate it. And that thinking is fantastic. It's why you and I are able to do this because people will tune in right. and they want to know stuff. But at the same time, you know, we have to remember that this greatness is just its unquantifiable. It's just, you know, did it feel right? Did it sound good? You know, it wasn't mathematics. And auto-tune is a great tool when you have the ears how to know how to use it. But now every conversation I see online is about gridding drums and tuning vocals. And 
It's not the problem of gritting drums or tuning vocals. It's the fact that we're worried about it. Like, let's just move past it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I love that- when, you, when you let somebody breathe, you know, in a song or the instrument yeah. breathe, you can hear it and there's got to be something. I, I think that's the best. I think that's probably why I feel like we've gravitated towards a lot of albums from the 70s. Yeah. Because it was still a point where the technology was coming in, but they weren't overdoing it. Like, it feels like there's a good balance. I, you know, yeah, I agree. Um, cool. So Bowie Scary Monsters, Fripp. All right. Just insane. In the, theme, in the theme of Bowie, I'll, I'll do the, I'm going to do a tie-in. When Bowie did this with the singer, did Dancing in the Streets with this guy, Jagger. I love that record. Now, this album is fantastic because, I mean, you know who's on this album, right? Jeff Beck? This, Jeff Beck. This is one of my favorite Jeff Beck albums. because Jeff Beck at the time, I'm going to say, I think he was um, he was playing on everybody's album. He, he did a great, great People Get Ready with Rod Stewart. Uh, remember that? That, yep. that gives me chills. Just think about that. It was just like one of the most, him and, him and Rod Stewart at that time, that was like so good. Um, but this album had Jeff Beck, Nile Rodgers, um, Gene Hammer, um, Herbie Hancock, um, G. Smith, uh, Tony Thompson, um, that guy Pete from that band The Who played on a couple songs. <laughs> <laughs> I think he did pretty good in his career. But this he album, did okay. like every, yeah, right. This album had everybody on it. But I mean, I mean, you know, say the album, the only the top, it just starts off the songwriting. It, it, it feels like it has the best of the Stones. Jagger was at his like his still is, is his smarmiest kind of a pouty thing going on right which he mastered at that time yeah, yeah. his voice was at his best the production on the songs a lot of synth on it but it was used very tastefully i think it wasn't overdone it really you know bouncing around yeah. in your headphones it was that that album is ridiculous that was i remember the, summer, the first summer i came out it's all i listened to was that album i, I i'm calling up looking over here because i've called up the credits um yeah, Beck played on Lonely on the Top, Running Out of Luck, Hard yep. Woman, Just Another Night, She's the Boss, mm-hmm. and on uh, and Lucky in Love. And he also played acoustic guitar on Just Another Night. Yeah, which is like yeah. one of the only instances I can think of Beck ever playing acoustic yeah, guitar. Acoustic guitar, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, it's and and my friend Dave Jordan engineered it. Oh yeah, yeah. He told he told me that um, I can't remember which song it is, but. Uh, I think it was just another night. I think it was just another night, and Je- he said Jeff was doing a uh, was doing the solo, and uh, Nile was it Nile that produced that song? Because I know Biz, well, it might have been Bill Laswell. Um, There's so many people on. It's almost confusing to see who did what. I just can't remember. Oh yeah, no, it was Bill Laswell. So Bill had said, maybe in consultation with Mick to mm-hmm. to Dave, said Jeff's going to come in and he's going to play a solo. Goes, whatever you do, don't erase the first take. So what they did is he came in, got some tones, they recorded the solo, and Jeff's like, oh, yeah, it's good, let me do another one. So then Dave went over, muted that track on the console, and went to a new track on tape, and carried on doing solo after solo after yeah. solo. And then Bill, it was probably Bill, maybe it was Mick, said, you know what, let's check out that first solo. And Jeff's like, oh, you still got it? And they play back the first solo. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's great. Let's use that. <laughs> Dave said that, you know, Jeff would always, like, try to better himself, better himself, better mm-hmm. himself. But, like, but they, you, you know, um, Mick had obviously known Jeff by that point for, like, 20 years, since the mid-60s, yeah. and just knew that his instincts and, and were always the best. And like many, many musicians, you keep, you keep doing something and you polish it, 
but the fire yeah. of the first take. But yeah, that's what Dave told me. He said that was the, the first take, and Bill had yeah. specifically told him, keep the first take. Did he play in Hard Woman? Yeah. That sounds that out that song actually could have been a stone song, like around Ruby Tuesday. If you the melody on that very easily feels very stonesy in the 60s to me. Yeah. You know, I mean it's the production changes. Oh, like you know what I'm saying? It's like I was listening to it tonight actually. because I, I pull out, I'm like, man, I'm coming home from work and I'm like it just stowed out. I'm like in traffic. I'm like, I gotta listen to the McJagger album again. I mean, it's just so good. And yeah. and it's the only album I own by him, like like soul album. I'm like, is this stuff's okay? But this album is just I really liked it. Primitive Call, I didn't like as much. The right. album that came afterwards. I remember yeah. buying that and being like, ah, it's okay. It felt like it was, um, yeah, I, I, it just felt like he was trying really, really hard. And yeah. but on the first album, it just felt instinctive and cool. And I don't know how big, I'm looking at how big of a hit it was. Um, oh, we had some hits. Yeah, uh, but Just Another Night was. Oh, and this one, just another night, was like a, a smash hit around the world. I think yeah. that one, platinum or double platinum. And remember, he did a mini, he did a mini video with his student at the time, which was a little also ahead of the time. Him and um, Ray Don Chung, they did that little mini storyline with just another night. Um, I know, Lucky in Love was like my favorite song for the longest time. At that, um, yeah, there's like a whole story where he's like running from gamblers or something, and and all the videos got released different periods. Yeah, it was it was it was it was produced well. I think it's the best because there's so many people on it and it wasn't thought about. It just feels like it was very organic, you know? It seems like he did better in the UK than he did in the US, strangely enough. Although the album ended up selling a million copies in America. So I suppose that's, that's pretty fantastic. Pretty yeah, it's like we're, kind, we're, we're kind of jaded over here at times, so. <laughs> yeah. The, um, so She's the Boss, yeah, masterpiece, great record. Yeah. Pink Floyd um, is a tough one because everybody would probably say Dark Side of the Moon, which is totally understandable. But for me, my and, and I'm a huge metal fan, Animals, yep. Wish You Were Here. Yep. I mean, I'm a gummer, you know, I love I love the, uh, the stuff with uh, um, Sid Barrett as well. But my favourite, favourite, favourite Pink Floyd album by far is The Wall. The Wall to me is a freaking masterpiece on every level. Just song after song after song. Amazing musicianship. Um, I, it's a masterpiece. And it just sends shivers down my spine listening to that record. Um, yeah. And I, I was a little kid when it came out. And all I remember is every kid at school was like, we don't need no education. Uh, uh, you know, and did it? Yeah, you know, it, it was like a, that. number one. Out you. Ah, so good, so good. Solos, guitar. Oh, just it's like a great hits album. Is what it is. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It really is. Absolutely incredible. So, but you know, it's hard to pick any one album of bands like like David Bowie as an artist, The Beatles, XTZ. But pretend. So I'm gonna do a tie. I'm gonna do um. Go talk about great creative bands. Cure. Now, oh, yeah. you they've know, done I love so this. many albums. I know so many, so many good albums. Though I know this was like at this time. I know he was going through a real hard time too. Like he was, they're getting too popular. So I know he wanted to pull back and get kind of gothy. I know. I guess the, the thing at the time he was doing like a lot of LSD and stuff. He wanted to really pull back. That album was huge. 
You know what I mean? Disintegration really was, was a masterpiece. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't a pullback at all. It was just as good as anything they'd done. And to yeah. me, actually, it's probably it's probably one of my favorite albums by them. Oh, it's know. an absolute masterpiece. Well, I mean, it just um, an album. F- I absolutely love this double album, ELO, Out of the Blue. I, I, and there's some logic to this because my when we get, if we, uh, we have to speed this up so we can get all of them oh, in. Yeah, yeah. But, but the this album was so important to me because it would it hits me on the same level as like Duke does. And of course my number one album, which anybody who's ever watched a video with me knows what it's going to be. Um, but you know, what I love about that ELO of the blue is it hits on all my levels because it's great songs. It's great production. It's great performances. It's just, I mean, Mr. Blue Sky. I agree. I actually had the album. I thought that was in my list. But when I saw yours, I was like, well, I'm going to get another album. That was actually in my <laughs> list. I love ELO. I love, I actually think he's in um, a witness relocation program because I mean, because you really don't know what's going on with the hair and the sunglasses. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think he's, in, but that's just a side. Well, it seems to work because he, because he brilliant. basically hasn't aged since 1974. It looks identical. He's got yeah. the same afro yep. with the glasses. Yeah. The beard, it's, it works perfectly. He's and, a genius. That's what makes him the albums like, and everything he's done. And now it's yep. now it's actually just Jeff oh, Lynne. You know, anything he's done with any of the side bands, his production that he's done. You know, Amazing. That's what work, keeps him around forever. Put him in styrofoam because we got to keep him. He's a, you know, I agree. Yep. That's a fantastic album. While we're talking about, so I'm going to go over here and jump out of the 70s for a minute and talk about the only rock album I'm going to put in here is going to be Metallica. I'd be remiss to say that to me, the time period and the way it broke through with Ozzy, it changed, it changed metal being the first big commercially thrashier fast guitar thing at the time there's also the last album with cliff so the album's kind of the, cha- the sound's kind of changed a lot um it did pretty well too you know cracked the, cracked the 200 for billboard which is pretty good for metal back then um yeah not too much to say for about it besides you know it, it's been out there for a long time but i had to give at least one little rock metal nod to someone on that one i understand well, looking at my list, we d- we did briefly just mention London Calling, um, The Clash. I think it's just a total masterpiece. I mean, it's a it's a post punk masterpiece because they pay absolutely no attention to genre. They just do whatever the heck they want. You know, it's a bit funky. It's got reggae in it. It's a little bit fifties rockabilly. You know, it's got that in it. It's got yep. some. It's got punk in it. It's got everything. London Calling is an absolute masterpiece and i remember you know the story um that they they recorded it as a double album and then of course yeah. they did sandinista which was a triple album and they told the record company in total punk rock fashion that it had to be sold as a single album for the price of a single album instead of a double album and the record company of course said no we're not doing that we're not we're not we're not selling it for a single album and they're like yes you are and so that so they they worked out this deal where it was going to be a single album, an album with a free single in it. The free single was a twelve inch and had eight songs on it. <laughs> <laughs> they they won that one, huh? That's they won awesome. that one, yeah. So it's a double it's a double album that that not that uh, that they managed to con the label, but well, so absolutely that, amazing. That, so that's a that's a good tie in, and so with, with Combat Rock, which was a follow up. Yeah, they wanted that. Now you know the story of that, right? They wanted it also to be yeah. half the band wanted it to be what, a single album, 
make short, shorter, punkier songs. Yeah. But Mick wanted it to be a double album again. And they're like, we just did a double, triple. And he wanted the songs to be like longer dance songs. And I think wow. that was part of the, and that started a real big dig in the animosity with the band too around the time because Mick was kind of going his own way at that point. But once again, of course, you know, as a guitar player, I was, I, I, you know, Robert Johnson was a huge influence. Genesis, you know, Steve Hackett. Steve Hackett's solo records were amazing. Hackett's oh. so good. So good. Um, but then I love when Michael, Mike Rutherford took over, just his riff playing and ideas. James Honeyman Scott. I mean, so many great musicians. Fripp with Bowie, Pink Floyd, of course, Dave Gil, David Gilmore. Um, but this next one was my father's, one of my father's favorite records. And what got me, there was two people that got me into playing guitar before I discovered rock music. And that was mm -hmm. Joe Pass and Django Reinhardt. And uh -huh. Django Reinhardt, of course, my dad had uh, had a lot of the uh, the hot club, um, you know, quintet stuff with Stefan Grappelli. But this one record really stuck out to me. And that was Joe Pass and Ella Fitzgerald. The um, it's called Fitzgerald and Pass again. It was the obviously the second album they did together. Plus, he had like tons of li live stuff. But Joe Pass just blew me away that a guitar player could accompany a jazz singer in such a way that just a single guitar and and sometimes he was just playing like really tight like you know harmonically rich stuff sometimes it was just two note or three note chords and it just never felt like it was never enough you know with a piano you know you've got the low end where you can really yeah. get the bass and you can got all the mid-range then the high you can really be an orchestra with 10 you fingers go going on yeah. piano yeah yeah. There he was on a six string guitar, just backing up one of the greatest singers of all time, Ella Fitzgerald. So, yeah, that was a huge album because I was a kid and that was like the first guitar playing I heard was Joe Pass and Django Reinhardt. Um, unbelievable. I will check that one out myself. That's one I haven't listened to. So, oh, well, they did loads of albums together. There's loads I know, but I haven't stuff, heard any of those. Uh, you know, no, you, together, what I mean is uh, like once you get into it, there's a whole wealth of, of stuff. Um, and then um, while we're on the guitar player front, can't really do a top any list without having Jimi Hendrix in it. And Axis Boulder's Love was my favorite and still is by far. You know, Six Was Mine and, and obviously, of course, Little Wing and everything. It's just there's something about Axis Boulder's Love, which to me, it's like that's the album that's the psychedelic part of the 60s. You know, Sgt. Pepper's obviously has it all. It's 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 sonically a masterpiece. So many different genres blended in. But when you put on Axis Boulder's Love, you're like, this is the '60s. This is the this is yeah. what hippies were about. You put that on, and it's just like, yeah, it doesn't get any better. If I was like somebody said to me, "What's the ultimate kind of hippie rock album?" You know, it's more than that. Don't get me wrong, because he's got funk uh -huh. in him. He's got blues. But I think it's like the 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 king, the queen, the 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 um, the head of the of sixties uh, late sixties music. Access Bond Love, masterpiece. So I, I have three more. Where, where we have gone to, you know? Like I, I, I can't imagine here. I don't know what he would have done. Yeah. Um, so I have three albums left, uh, and you have two. Um, yep. Let me do because you've done. You obviously did Paul McCartney. We did the Beatles. Mm -hmm. For me, this was really tough because I wanted because I two I have two favorite John Lennon records, and again, like Bowie, they're two different periods. And the first the first one is probably the one I chose, which is Plastic Ono Band, um, 
which is an incredible record. But I also love Double Fantasy, his last album he did while he was alive. I know that sounds silly while he was alive, because obviously Milk and Honey came out after he had died. And it was just using the scratch vocals. He hadn't sung the final vocals when that album came out. But Plastic Ono Band is just an absolute masterpiece. I got to ask John Leckie about it, who worked on that record as a tape op early on. And he said to me, because it had just been the 50th anniversary last year, he said to him, said to me that people have been um, interviewing about him. It's going like, yeah, we heard that. And this is where I was sort of alluding to with, with Let It Be, mm-hmm. is that people's idea, they hear, they go, I heard this, meaning they read somebody who said this right. or said that. Well, the thing was, everybody was interviewing John and saying, John Leckie and saying, you know, I heard that, you know, he was doing final screen therapy and it must have been a really emotional record to be involved in. And John Leckie said, no, not at all. He goes, everybody was having a blast. He goes, it was the most amount of fun I've ever had on a record. He goes, it was like best friends. It was Ringo playing drums with Klaus Vorman, their old bass player from Hamburg, like one of their best friends, you know. Um, you know, the, not their bass player, but a bass player from Hamburg and then Phil Spector. And he said he said he never yeah. saw any guns. Phil never got mad. It was said it was it was it was like a, a guy, a wife and his best friends hanging out. He said it was awesome. the most fun. <clears throat> but of course, you know, you read about it. It's like primal screen therapy. And he was going through so much stuff. And and the songs are very emotional. Don't get me wrong. But he said the whole recording process was just lighthearted and fun. <laughs> so it just goes yeah, to show good. I actually like to to break those rumors myself. I think, and this is like a, a, a probably a crime to say a lot. John Lennon's vocals. I love his vocals with less reverb and less effects on them. And I know he hated his voice. I think he yep. he probably encouraged. I, I don't know. I'm not going to assume, but you know what I'm saying. No, so you know what, what, that's what Jack said. Yeah, Jack's. That's voice, why Jack did the uh, stripped down version of Double Fantasy. Yeah. yeah. His voice, especially when, when George Martin was doing it, was beautiful. Yeah. And I think. That's what always prevents me from being so into John Lennon's soul stuff because the songs are beautiful, his voice is beautiful. But I, I also I always hate that that overproduced serial sound on any band. It's rude for a lot of bands, and that doing that to his voice all the time. I'm like man, if they just pull back a little bit, his voice is naturally beautiful. So yeah, I agree. No, I agree. Yeah. And, and Jack said the same thing. So you said you have two left. I have two left now. What's what are all your right. last two? All right. So I'm going to end. Actually, so I'm going to do. I'll end on a bigger one. But so I'm going to say just for a. a Classical, just gonna throw one in here. Dr. Zhivago, uh, crazy, crazy movie. My, my wife got me into it when, I was, when we first met. But then listening to the soundtrack, it, these are all classical songs. You, you know them. You know everyone knows. Of course. Them. I'm, and I, and I, you know, I'm not gonna pretend like I said to you before that I that I'm even gonna say the titles. Laura's theme is probably the most popular one, and I I'm not even gonna how many. Up. Look it up. Listen to it. You'll know it. You, if not, you've heard it with your grandparents or someone. It's, it's a good. It's it's a good album. Though. It's a good. It's a beautiful movie. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful movie. I, 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 that scene is so powerful where he's in yeah, like yeah. the bus or the coach and he drives past and he sees her walk in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. That scene I, is so powerful. There's so, so many. So the, I, I, the break of the furniture, I think that, of course, the ice house is probably the, the biggest thing, you know, because yeah. it's the most beautiful thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Incredible, incredible. Omar Sharif. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Um, Lots of that movie. Yep, such Go a good movie. Yeah. Um, okay, so my last two. Again, I'm nothing if not predictable. So, everybody, if, by whichever order I do this in, everybody's going to know what the other one is. Um, Miles Davis, kind of blue. Um, I 
that album is I remember the first time I heard it as a kid, I was just like, what is this music? I had never heard anything like it. And just the space around Miles's like performances, just that, you know, you know, it's just like, oh, so gorgeous. It's phrasing, everybody that's on that record is just an absolute monster. And for me, I I have probably, I've probably bought that album more than any other album because not only do I own it on the vinyls over there, I should have got it out. I apologize. Not only do I own it on vinyl, I'm looking around to see if I have it on the consoles, um, have it on vinyl and CD and tape and blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff. I, I buy it for people. It's like, if, 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 you know, especially, you know, back in the olden days of the eighties and nineties, when we still bought, you know, vinyl and CDs, you, you you have a really good friend and maybe they don't, they don't know much about jazz. You're like, it's yep. the album you buy. You buy them kind of blue and they're just like, that's it. It's like the gateway drug. They're just like, this yeah. is amazing. This is the best music I've ever heard. Now I'm going to be obsessed. And everybody goes off and gets into Miles Davis and Coltrane and everything. And it's that's that's the gateway drug. And there's a reason, and I have no problem that it is the biggest selling jazz album of all time. And I have no problem making it one of my favorite records. Sometimes great music actually is really commercially successful. I think we get, all of us get a little bit carried away thinking just because something is commercially successful that it, it loses its value. I do not agree. I think Kind of Blue is the biggest selling jazz album for all time because it's the best freaking jazz album of all time. You know, loads of, people will, loads of people will fight me on that and that's okay. I mean, I love, I love Annette Coleman. I love Donald Byrd, Freeform Jazz. I, I've got everything, you know, all the bebop you can think of. I love it all. I grew up on it all, but wow kind of blue is just unbelievable anyway the yes, floor is yours all right so i'm gonna do my last one and only did you close it up so i'm gonna say clapton um dwayne almond is actually i think so dwayne almond is probably the stand-up part of this because this was like towards the end of his career when he before he died and he did some killer killer slide guitarists um obviously layla and so i would say Bellbottom Blues is probably my favorite, I think, on here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely love it. Yeah. There's so many good players on it, too. I mean, on that album. Because that's what he left from uh, Delaney and Bonnie and all, all the players that were on that with him. And at one point, I think George Harrison played with him a little bit in one of the versions. And I know... Let's talk about Phil Spector once again. He was involved on some level at one point. I don't know for the recording of that. Calm down. There's, there was so many great musicians. You know, I'm, I'm not going to get into the lineage of that album itself. It's, you know, it's it's it's, it's so good. And it's a total my, masterpiece. Yeah. Now right. this this last record. Home. Yeah, this last record. There is not a person alive that's ever watched any video of me. It doesn't know what album it's going to be. And the sad thing is, in my house, it's it's on my wall. Um, yeah, hold on a second. Yep. Uh, I was but, I was going to guess Day of the Races for some reason. I don't know why. That's quiet. I love Day of the Races. So so I have this on vinyl, but I also have I have it on vinyl, vinyl as well. But I also have a signed copy of it on the yep. wall mounted in my house. But just so just so we're clear about the albums I've been talking about. 
<laughs> nice. So I should have had all these out when we were talking. So I, I, I like to collect, if I can, either signed copies of albums that I love. I have a signed, um, I have a signed Plastic Ono band, which was signed in wow. 1980, the year that John died, by Yo- John and Yoko signed it. So I have a copy of that framed. Um, I have a copy of Eesh. A Night of the Opera signed by the whole band. I actually have a floor tom or a rack tom skin signed by the whole band as well. Um, yeah, huge Queen fan um, for obvious reasons, but they were my gateway drug. And they're my favorite band. And they allowed me because, you know, that period with Bohemian Rhapsody and Prophet Song is like the gateway drug because it's recorded in 75. And you that way you can go off into Genesis and go back and rediscover Nursery Crime and Lamb Lies Down on Broadway and everything. And you can also go into heavy rock. And I was like, after that, um, you know, Iron Maiden came out a couple of years later. So, and I was into ACDC. So it was like, it's the, they're the perfect band of that period. You know, Night of the Opera is like art rock, prog and heavy rock all blended together. So you can just go everywhere in every different direction. All right, brother. Thanks very much. All right, take care. Thanks, bye-bye. You rock.